Hello and welcome to the Vulture TV podcast. For this week's show, we're presenting our conversation between Rembert Brown and Trevor Noah from this year's Vulture Festival. Matt, Jen, and I will be back next week for an episode on Baz Luhrmann's The Get Down. Hello. How we roll. I wanted to start this by Jakey Lookin. That's I don't know. Thank you very much. Our first gag worked. I said it wouldn't, but you were right. It worked. Nicely done. Uh, welcome. Uh, the third annual Vulture Fest. Uh, this is State of the Union with uh, Trevor Noah. Uh, this is Trevor Noah. Thank you. Uh, my name is Rembert Brown. I work in New York Magazine, and. We're going to have a good old-fashioned Sunday afternoon conversation. Uh, with microphones. With microphones that work. That's not how I normally have my conversations <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, uh, you will be on the other side, but instead of just me grilling you, and let's just let's have a relaxed environment. Uh, so I think my uh, we, we met up a couple days ago and just kind of we talked, and one of the, the things that I didn't realize that kind of puts a lot of your job even in more perspective for me is that I didn't realize that you, you're 31? 32? 30, 32. And that kind of blew my mind because I never really thought of the host of The Daily Show as being someone that's like 18 months different than me. Like I just thought of that as like, that's what you do at the end of your career. You're The Daily Show host. And I was like, no, that's like, a friend of mine is hosting The Daily Show. That, that is kind of crazy. Do you feel like, do you feel, uh, like, normal? I do feel normal. Uh, no, you, you know, I, I agree with you. I think a lot of the time that's what we perceive in all of these positions because it's not just on, on, on The Daily Show. Any late night show, you remember the people as being older because they've been there their entire lives. So when I thought of late, late show uh, hosts, I was just thinking of guys like Letterman, and I was like Leno, and I was like, you know, you have to be an older man. And then I guess like the likes of Jimmy Fallon come along and Corden, and you, you, you realize that we are in the beginning of a new cycle. And that's always gonna be strange. So uh, if you only know a flower when it is bloomed, when you see a seed, you're like, what the hell is this thing? That's not a flower. And that's, that's really what it is. <clears throat> Excuse me, but funny enough, with, with uh, John, that was one of the biggest things John said to me was, I said, why, why on earth would you even recommend me for this job? And he said, because I see me in you when I was starting out. And no one else could see that because no one else was really there. Uh, but you, it has to start somewhere. It has to start at a certain age. And so, um, so yeah, I guess I'm at the beginning of uh, that cycle. How is it? Uh, I think it's very interesting. You uh, kind of coming of age in The Daily Show in... Uh, an election cycle, uh, uh, just a flat-out circus. Um, as uh, circus is planned. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> I love how people say that. They always say the circus. And the truth is, the circus is a very well-oiled, like, well-run machine. When you think about it, when they go from city to city, like, like circus is really planned. There is no chaos in the circus. <laughs> chaos in the circus is when like an elephant gets loose and tramples the audience. <laughs> like that's when the circus go. Like they don't go. This is a circus. They're like, no, this is not the circus. Like, it's not going as they planned. <laughs> so when everyone goes, this is the circus. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not a circus. It's a. Uh, I mean, we call it a circus. No, I'm always being fascinated by. That. I've always been fascinated by the, uh, it's chaos, it's madness. Yeah, it's like people in the circus must be very offended when they watch it. <laughs> I see like what's happening in the GOP race and, and even on the Democratic side and people are like, it's a circus and they're like, did we run a tight ship? This is not what we do. We need to tell people we plan everything. It's all planned. Circus lives matter. But yes, but yes, coming, coming. <laughs> Coming, sorry, you were saying coming to coming to life, I guess, or, 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 or cutting my teeth during this election cycle. You were saying yes. Yeah. Um, as uh, I mean, you can look at any number of you know check boxes. Uh, being of a certain age, being of a certain race, a certain nationality. What is just having having a different perspective, kind of you know showing up and like, oh wow, this is like this is how y'all handle business over here. Uh, <laughs> how how has it been like jumping into 
this election cycle and trying to be objective about it. Uh, I think one thing we um, talked about earlier was uh, how you, you told me that you haven't you haven't really like planted your flag in terms of like picking a side. Yeah. Like, like you're not like the, the Daily Show compared to the old Daily Show. This is not a like a show for Democrats. The end. You know, it's like it's a little bit more objective. Has that? Uh, is well, that I, I don't believe it's more objective. I think I think the Daily Show with John Stewart was very objective. It was uh, perceived by some as being, uh, you know, slated to one side or the other. And I think that happened over time through a certain amount of elections, especially through the Bush era, where it was it was a person going through logic. You know, even if you remove partisan politics, there's someone going, this is not logical. You know, and that's and that's something you strive towards. I feel even as a comedian, that's what that's what I'm always looking to. As a comedian, you look to break the logic down. So whether it be something benign like you know the subway or something that's that's uh, shaping the world, which is an American U.S. election, you are looking at the logic of things. That's how I feel. Uh, and so uh, the gift and the curse is the fact that I'm that I'm not a voter. That is is both a gift and a curse. You know, it's a curse because people go, oh, but how can you feel the passion that we feel? Uh, but then at the same time, I feel like it's a gift because I go. I'm not swayed by years of having this belief that I belong in one or, or, or the other team, you know. And some, and if we look at it, that's really, in my opinion, one of the biggest things that holds American politics back right now is that it's a, it's, it's become a team sport now, as opposed to uh, politics, as opposed to getting moving the country forward. Now people are going, my team does this, your team does that. And it's like, no, it's not supposed to be that. It's supposed to be having slightly or differing opinions on how to get to the same place, which is. Uh, the success of the country, so um, so so I think that's that's been the biggest thing for me is just uh, growing and trying to understand everything, and that's the fun that we have at the office because most of the old staff from the from the Daily Show with John Stewart have stayed behind. So I just sit there like a kid asking the most <laughs> simple questions, which often stump people. So the, the most recent conversation we had was around the, the Supreme Court justices, and I said. Uh, we're talking about how Merrick Garland wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be nominated, and you know the lame duck presidency that the Republicans are starting, and and so I said, well, well what if uh, so what if Hillary gets nominated then, you know, and what if she re she says she's going with another another nominee, maybe she's going with uh, Shreefri Nevasa, what's going to happen then? And then they said, well, then the Republicans would have to know. I said, but they don't have to do anything because you have no laws written down. There is no rule about this, and everyone was like, oh, they don't. It's like so, so I was like, so they can block it forever, and they're like, yeah. I said, and there's no rule about this, and they're like, yeah, I guess so. And like you see people going, oh, we, but no one would ever do that. I'm like, that's what you said about this, but I don't understand as an outsider. I, it's funny because I see, I see the U.S. as the U.S. was almost like a, the pioneer in many ways, especially with the Constitution and and a lot of the the laws that were created in this country, the pioneers of freedom and 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 the bastion of democracy. But then, like a person who had the first iPhone, I feel like America just has refused to upgrade. You know? And they go, yeah, and they're like, but it's advanced. It's like, no, we're on the six now. Like the first level of people have upgraded, and America's like, nope, 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 nope. I'm still on iPhone one. Great battery life. Yeah, this is it. This is, you're like, you don't have 3G. They're like, we don't need 3G. We've got the Second Amendment. So, it's a strange thing to see, but I guess that's what helps being an outsider is I don't have entrenched views about this. Do, do you think uh, you can you feel the progress of I guess trust? You know, in terms of people, uh, I, I just I, I remember feeling like in the beginning people were like like this very common kind of like ignorant notion of like how could he talk about American politics? Yeah. If he's not from here, which you know is like a, a kind of sums up how we do stuff. Like that's just like a not like as if like you don't you can't understand what happens here, but do you feel like as the show has gone on through this election cycle, people have taken that outsider's perspective as a, as a positive? Well, I think if anything, you realize that it's not an outsider's perspective, it's, uh, it's an insider's perspective. Because I'm a human being that is living in the United States of America. You know, I am a representative of many people that have done the same thing that I have. They have gone to another country, namely the US, and they've started a new life. You know, I'm the people that Donald Trump wishes to build a wall for. I'm uh, I'm part of the people that may be banned. I'm you get what I'm saying? The, the visas that will be blocked. A large part of the U.S. population is represented by that. So, so in essence, you you are an outsider until you are not. 
Uh, and I've, I've always, always believed that we are sharing the same feelings. We are going through the same thing. You know, when, when Black Lives Matter was at its peak and when these, you know, the shootings and the, all the videos were coming out, I wasn't walking through the streets going, I'm an outsider, I'm fine. You know, like if, if I saw a policeman, I wasn't going, he knows I'm an outsider. Like, I wasn't thinking that. I was just like, oh shit, I hope I don't get shot. Like that's, it's happening in my mind as well. I'm, I don't, you are a human being first and foremost. And so um, I think where you come from maybe shapes your views and helps you, and helps you form your opinion. But where you are is, is, a, is a larger determining factor in how you think. Um, and I think over time that's that's what I've built with the audience is a lot of people going This is my show. This is this is who I am a lot of a lot of people of color a lot of immigrants a lot of People who said you know, oh, I didn't have a, a full connection uh, To you know what was happening in politics beforehand like, as I said to you before when I hang out in Harlem and the Bronx and those places People don't care about Mitch McConnell you know? yeah. no, one in a, no one in my barbershop is going, man, you see what Mitch McConnell did, man? Yo, that dude, man, I can't, I can't stand this. I can't stand this, man. Why are they blocking the nomination, B? Man, just, man, I can't handle this partisan bullshit, man. It's right, West Coast, East Coast, all over again, man. I can't handle it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, the guys are like, everyone has their problems in different ways. So it's, it's trying to address all of that and finding you in the show, which is, uh, which is what... Uh, again, I, I go back to John because he was my Yoda. He, he went, don't make my show. He said, this is what the show should be, a representation of you and what you believe is important in your world. And so that's, that's what I set out to do every day. Um, I think one thing that I, I'm interested in is uh, how, what is your daily kind of uh, media, media intake in terms of how... Excessive. Yeah, like how, how, how do you consume... consume news like how do you is it like as soon as you wake up in the morning yeah you just you, you know you, you look at your at mentions and you smile that people care about you you people are talking about you like do you do you have like a website at mentions you don't smile when you read your <laughs> at mentions that's where you go to that's where you go to to to, uh, to uh, deflate your ego a little bit whenever you're feeling cocky you just go to your mentions and you're like oh yes i'm human all right so let's go back uh how, how do you how do you consume uh, news over the course of the day. When does it start? Does it ever end? I don't think it starts and I don't think it ends. It's a constant flow of news, you know? We, we're in the age of information. Uh, sometimes it feels like too much information, but I guess, you know, there's no, not, they, they say you can never have too much information, but at some point it, it does sort of feel like that. You, you know, I, I wake up every day and I'm watching the morning shows, you know, CBS This Morning, uh, Good Morning America, The Today Show, watching as much of it as I can. I, you know, uh, and then I, then I'm looking at my phone. I'm reading The Guardian. You know, and, I'm, and then I'm on CNN. Then I'm seeing what's happening on the New York Times. Then I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going through everything. Even, even uh, alternative sources, news sources like The Skim, for instance. Just seeing what everyone is looking at in their world, and then trying in my world. What I'm always trying to do is, is figuring out the points of data that that intersect. So you go, oh, this really is the big story, or this is the biggest conversation starter today, as opposed to this is big in that world, this is big in this world, this is, you know, so I'm consuming all of that. And so by the time the day started, at, when, when we begin our morning meeting at 9.15, I have all of that swirling in my head. And then together at the show, we watch, uh, watch as much as we can, maybe 30, 45 minutes, uh, and we have a, a second team that's watching hours of content, you know, everything that's happened in the news, on television, and, uh, and then we, we're just sifting through all of that. But the, the, the show almost looks like a newsroom. Every single office has a TV that's on the news. Everyone has got alerts that are breaking the entire time. So we try and get to the point where when we're making the show, it is as current as possible. We've changed the script five minutes before taping because someone has just said something in addition, you know? so. Uh, so that's that's what we're doing. It's just constantly absorbing that information, and unfortunately, I've, you know what it is. It's, it's not that it's too much information, but I feel the one thing we suffer a lack of in this day and age is what we have benefited in the quality of inf in the quantity of information. We we forfeited uh, the quality of processing time. You know? okay, how much how much time do we have to sit and go, oh? What does this mean? Do you see the story? Have you seen what's happened? How do you feel about it? What does it remind you of? Is there a precedent? Is it... We're on to the next thing immediately. I mean, Donald Trump is a great example of this. 
he has mastered uh, the art of moving us on to the next news cycle. You know, he goes, Ted Cruz's dad assassinated Kennedy. And you're going, what? I'm sorry, what just happened? And then he's like, and I will not release my tax returns. Okay, wait, what? And now we've forgotten the assassination. And now we're like, what do you mean you won't release your tax returns? And he goes, yeah, talk to John Miller about this. You're like, who's John Miller? What's going on here? Wait, you fake your own interviews? Boy, now we've forgotten the tax returns. He is gone. Yeah, and then you're like, what, John Miller? And now we're on that thing. And then he turns around and he goes, Chris Christie, stop eating Oreos. You're fat. And then we're like, wait, did you just do that? And in the middle of that, while he's still doing that, he's like, yeah, we're going to have a trade war with China. What's the bad, what's the worst that can happen? Now we're on this. We haven't even gotten over the assassination. We're already talking. Now we just, you, you, you get what I'm saying? We, we move so quickly and we absorb so much news. And in the middle of this, there's an Egypt airplane that is missing now. And now we're thinking of, it's just, you, you, you almost cannot keep up. You know, it's, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's very overwhelming at times for many people trying to consume this news and trying to have time to process it. So we live in the world of hot takes now. Get it in, say your thing immediately. What's your opinion? Bad, good, all right, move on. What's the next thing? Bad, good, move on. What's the, you know, and it's, 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 uh, it's no longer crafted. It's not like, you, we don't take our time with it. It's like a, it's a factory of opinion, I feel. Like we're mass producing our opinions. But it also mirrors the times where, I think something like Trump or like, just so much of the online uh, media, or, or just any media, is like, you can tell when people don't actually read anything. Yes. You can tell when uh, people don't actually watch a full video. It's like, I see that headline and I now have decided how I feel yeah. about an entire issue, and then it's time to read the next headline. I mean, yeah. that is basically, like the fact that that is the backbone of media and the fact that that's the backbone of the most successful presidential candidate right now is probably not coincidental. It's like, do people actually want to know facts? Do you feel that, uh, or do you think that that's just like, it's become like a secondary thing, like like actually knowing how you feel more than kind of just trying to be right or wrong? No, I, I think everybody wants to learn. Everybody wants to know facts. That's how we're designed as humans. The brain enjoys uh, learning. What we don't want to do is feel uninformed and left behind. And I feel like that's what this news cycle does to people. So your friend goes, well, did you see this thing? And you're like, no, I, I didn't, because I'm still thinking about how I feel about the transgender bathroom bill. I'm still trying to figure that out. And they're like, yeah, well, the plane has crashed, so you gotta move on. Yeah. How can you not know that a plane has crashed? And you're like, okay, well, I was, I was still trying to figure, okay. And, and really, that's what it is. We, we live in a world where people are afraid, I feel, of seeming uninformed, you know, so you'd rather know uh, a little about a lot as opposed to knowing a lot about a little. And and that's that's the balance that we're trying to, you know, to, to, to maintain all the time. People definitely want to learn the facts. I think that's, that's part of why people spread the wrong facts, because people are like, let me help you. You know, let me send you this thing on Facebook. Look, ISIS has claimed responsibility for the terror. You're like, no, no, they haven't. They haven't. The plane hasn't even taken off yet. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, people, people are trying to, to spread facts. People are trying to, and, and I feel like that is the easiest, that, that's, that's when it makes demagoguing the easiest of all, because you, you can masquerade something as a fact. You can, you can get it out there and people go, oh, I, I know the fact, I read this, trust me, I read this, and, and they haven't. Uh, but they have, but it, I mean, there's so much news yes. that you can, you can literally, there can be a very well built out website, a beautiful website that says like today is Sunday, and then another one that is like today is Thursday. Yes. And if you want site two to be what, if, you, if you're more comfortable with one thing, yep. that is your fact. So it's now what we're supposed to be doing is looking at the calendar. But it's become easier for us to just go to our website that says it's Sunday or it's Thursday. Yeah. Because the calendar is boring. Now you have to go through it yourself. And that's like one extra step. It's, it's like, like why would I take that step? Yeah, that's exactly it. Like when you when you read, it's easier to have that be given to you than to actually sit down and read through because it is it is innately boring. It is you know, and you don't have time for it and you go do it, you know? So so that's 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 really where we are now. So you're you're trying to what we try and do at the show is try and just create a bit of solace in the madness. I do not wish to participate in the fanfare. I believe most of it is is the equivalent of WWE. You know, it's it's 
it's really crazy and it's entertaining, but it masquerades as something that it is not. You know, uh, even even in even in the political sphere, I mean, I was I was I was almost heartbroken. I was like a kid that discovered WWE wasn't real when I, I went to New Hampshire, and then I like found out candidates were hanging out with each other from both sides. You know, like after a debate, guys are hanging out. Let's grab a drink, let's shake hands. Oh yeah, I'll see you on Sunday. We're gonna go to this event together, and you're like. But you, you, enemy, what you said about the other person on the stage was, and your supporters, they believe that they're going home now, getting ready to attack the other side, but they've gone home. They're like, it's done, good debate. Oh, man, you really got me with that one. Oh, that was, oh, that was tough. You wanna go for a drink? Yeah, let's go for a drink. Splitting this Yeah, yeah, and that, I, I won't lie, that threw me, because I had come in and gone, oh, this is genuine. This is exactly how they are. And maybe it's because in South Africa, that's how it is. When a politician says to another politician on a stage, you are a liar and a scumbag, that's not like how you build friendships. That's, that's the end of the discussion. It, you will not see them hanging out, having a drink. It's like real beef. Yeah, but in America, it's a strange, I honestly do not understand that. I go, this is, it's WWE to a certain extent. You're like, you guys are, you're creating, you're creating a fanfare around it. That's why it's so easy for people to endorse people after they've fallen out of the race. I, I, in my, my mind is honestly broken by that. How can you say everything that you say, every single day, you say this person, think of everything, let's, let's just say on the Republican side, you go, uh, you know, people have said Donald Trump is the worst thing that can happen to this country, you cannot be commander in chief, you cannot trust him, he's a liar, he's a, he's a cheat, he is, he's all of these bad, you cannot have him, you cannot have him, you cannot have him, he's the worst thing ever, I'm dropping out of the race, and I think we can all agree that Donald Trump is the best choice. <laughs> it's like, whoa, what just happened there? That, that, that for me is just, that's where you see that they are playing a game with the people. That is, that is something that, I, I feel like I, I, I don't get over that. I go, but you, you, you can't say that. You know, you can't, like Ted Cruz is one of those people who did that to me where I was like, I don't agree with you, but I, I, I at least respected you until that point. I was like, well, you're gonna stick by your convictions. And then just to see him flip overnight, I was like, well, it doesn't seem like you have any. It's a puppet show. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the game, you know, it's, it's entertainment. Uh, and then it's, it's wrapped in a, in, a, in a pastry of politics. But the people out there don't know that it's, uh, that it's as much entertainment as it is. They don't know how civil these people are with each other. And, and I think that's really damaging because the people out there are fighting the fight. They're going out there and choke slamming each other, not realizing that their candidates are just, you know, normal people without their wrestling costumes. Um, how, um... <coughs> Uh, how do you uh, distinguish between the, the news that you could say arguably matters from day to day versus kind of the things that everyone gets like, mad about every day? You know, like there's that kind of that... Uh, do you mean like real mad or internet mad? Uh, yeah, I mean, those are two completely different things. They're very like, different I things. mean, real, real mad is... Uh, internet mad is closer to... Uh, politics mad, you know, it's yeah. like, it's, there is a, there is a rush that I, I, I watch happen day, it, day in and day out, it's like, this is the passionate this thing that we're mad about today, yep. I don't really, I haven't even thought about how I feel about it, but I can feel people being mad, so it's like, 9.30, it's time to get mad, <laughs> and then like, maybe by the end of the day, they like, secretly like, wait, I'm not actually that mad, but then it's time to get mad about the next thing. How, like, yes. in terms of you have to fill up a show, and so much of that show is the the items of the day. Like some of those are real items, and some of them are fake items. Yes. We we're talking about like Blake Lively. We talked about Blake Lively. And yeah, like that, that was like, a, that for me was, was a classic case of people jumping on a bandwagon of faux outrage, using an opportunity to not look beyond what is just said to you in a headline. So Blake Lively, for those who don't know, so Blake Lively. Uh, who's an actress, tweeted a picture of herself in a, in a gown and she's pregnant and, and the, the picture was, was the front shot and then the shot from behind and then she t uh, the caption read uh, LA face and a booty from Oakland booty. booty. Yeah, LA face, Oakland booty. Which is a So Mix-A-Lot lyric uh, from uh, Baby Got Back. Yes, my, you know, and people lost their minds. People were like, oh, this is just another case of you know, a white person you know, appropriating black culture and insulting us and using people of color as a punchline and we won't stand for this any longer, this is what we've got, this is what... And I was like, well, okay, let's, let's take a step back for a second. Let's take a step back. Yes, that happens. Yes, there is appropriation. Yes, 
you know, you can't say that many times black people have been seen as a punchline in jokes. I understand these things. In fact, it goes both ways racially. But let's not forget, this was a pre-existing lyric. So mix a lot in that lyric, right? And he, he specifically says, my anaconda don't want none. <laughs> Unless you've got buns, hun. I just brought this up when I wanted to hear you say that. <laughs> but, this is, but this is what he says. So, in essence, what you're doing now is you are saying that Blake Lively has offended the people because she has posted a lyric from a song that is honoring or you're celebrating the Oakland booty. Right? That's basically what's happening in that song. Now, now if, we just, if we just take a step back, and I love doing this with all these arguments online. I sit there and I go, okay, does LA have beautiful faces? Yes, it does. Why? Because it is generally an acting population. People are going out there to make their big break, right? It is seen as a beautiful face population. Now, does Oakland have beautiful booties? This is subjective. <laughs> but because it is a high population of people of color, there is bound to be more bootiness happening in that place. Now, he's celebrating the thing. He's going, I don't want none unless you have one. So he has pre, like his position is predefined. He has said, in fact, he's discriminating against those who are bootyless in the song. He's saying, if you don't have buns, my anaconda would not like any part of you. <laughs> so, if anything, you can be offended if you don't have the buns. So now this person has said, so that song then is a positive song celebrating the female form, specifically women who have larger posteriors. So now, you've got someone who has tweeted this lyric, who I can only assume at that moment was celebrating her body, and that is what we're taught to do in society. We're supposed to be celebrating the bodies of people. Either we're going, your body is your body, learn to accept it and learn to love it. And then someone is saying, don't you dare, how can you, how can you say this about, and you're like, no, but that is a celebration of the thing. You have now taken that away. You are saying that that is now a negative thing. You are saying that a black booty is a negative thing. And this person, that has become a positive. Why are you, why are you angry? And like, it's, you're angry because you read a headline. You're angry because, I'm not saying all of the arguments, uh, you know, around them are, 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 are incorrect. But sometimes we just, we get angry. We get angry and then we fight a fight. And the, the example that we're using, our test study, is not the thing to be fighting over. It's not the thing to be fighting for. You know, and I think that's what happens on the internet. It has bred this culture where you, you can share that anger and you, you amplify it out there. And then we, at the end of the day, we don't even know what happened. Like now, the Blake Lively thing is dead now. Yeah, it's by dead. the end of the day. It yeah, it, it's, it's gone. And what, what have we done? We fought. Right? And then I'll see you guys tomorrow and we fight again. Yeah? yeah kinda, we kind of just shake hands. Well, we never solved the thing. We never, we never gave people the answer. So, for instance, as a white woman, can you say you have an Oakland booty? Are you allowed to say that? Can you say you have a big booty? Can you, like, what, like, what are the rules now? We haven't even tried to move it forward as a society. And that's something I've always gone as, we, we fight, but then we don't, we don't have any form of resolution of the fight, which is, which is not good. That's where we are below the WWE, because at least they go, the end has happened. <laughs> okay, you have pinned him, someone has to write the count, you won, you are now the champ. We don't even do that, we just have the fight, and then we, we're done. And then we go, okay, let's fight again tomorrow. But we, we have lost our ability to see the purpose of the fight, and see the purpose of an argument or a discussion, and that is to come out with some form of consensus that is not just people shouting out their anger and their opinion. And, uh, and that's, I think the internet has bred that tremendously. It's become a space where negativity is rewarded, uh, which is funny enough, I mean, I know it's off topic, I think it's why people are migrating to Snapchat, because it doesn't promote that. That's literally what people are doing. They're going, I, I'm done with this. I just want a puppy face and, and no haters. That's why I like LinkedIn. I just find out who gets a job. It's like, no negativity on LinkedIn. Oh my God, you got a promotion. I've seen you in 10 years. It's amazing. The great LinkedIn and Snapchat migration. Um, do you feel like, um, just like seeing, uh, seeing you unpack that uh, Sir Mix a Lot lyric, uh, there's just like a passion in it. Do you feel like um, part of like your purpose or part of the purpose of the show is to try to counteract like these kind of unhealthy yes. uh, trends? Yeah, if ever that, if, uh, more and more I realize that's my purpose, that's what I'm passionate uh, about. It's what I grew up doing. I, so I grew up in a very religious household and my mom and I would have uh, huge arguments about religion. And 
one of the things that I was, I was really lucky was that my mom was willing to hear my arguments around religion, which is not always the case with very religious people. And, and so she would allow me to challenge her views or challenge religion, you know, if I, could, if I could come with a very logical argument and then she would reply with one and we'd go back and forth. And so she taught me to apply my mind to a problem and not just say it's wrong or it's right. And so, so we would play that back and forth. And I've, I've just grown up doing that in life. And if anything, I, I, I look at these situations, for instance, the most recent show we did uh, was about the transgender bathroom bill. And I've, I've sat with it, I mean, this is not the breaking news now, but I've, I've sat with it for weeks trying to figure out why I feel the way I feel about it, why people feel the way they feel, you know, about it, are, are they against it, are they for it? And when I sat down with it and I broke it down into all the arguments and, and the, the logical conclusion I came to, I realized we have fabricated our morals as society. Morals are constantly evolving and changing. You know, what we considered, uh, you know, let's say even slutty in the 90s, you know, what? whenever they'd go be on TV, you'd see like, oh, look at these slutty girls. That's how people dress today because we've evolved forward. We've gone, That's, that doesn't define anything and there shouldn't be this term in the first place. So I, I sat with that and I, I worked through it in my mind and we talk at the show and we try and unpack an argument and then break it down to its core parts and come out with some sort of conclusion where it's not my team, your team, it's just no arguments here are the points of the argument and here's the logic that breaks it down. And then I acknowledge the other side of the argument, I understand that, but you get to a logical point where there is, there is always the truth. That's the thing I, I know in life. There is always the truth and then there is your truth. And we all have our truths and we, we interchange them a lot of the time. We go, oh, this is the truth and this is our truth and sometimes we choose to ignore that truth when it suits us and so on and so forth. But there is always the truth, and if you're willing to find it, and if you're not afraid of what it may mean for your, for your, you know... Your level of comfort. Yeah. Exactly. Sometimes it will go against the very fundamentals of what you believe, uh, whether, whether you're conservative or, or whether you're liberal. That's when you will find it. So you go, am I willing to discover something that will completely change my perspective on this? Am I willing to even go, I've been wrong? Which is something most of us aren't willing to do. It's really scary to say that. And if we can do that, then we go, we will find the truth. So that's, that's what I'm trying to create on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, is a show where you can come in and go, I don't care which side of this you're on, let's try find the truth. So, uh, you know, and, and we find it in, uh, in a funny way, which is the most important thing. Yeah. Otherwise we're just like, like, a, like an almanac. That's not cool. Almanac's a knuckle. Uh, is it interesting that uh, uh, just in terms of the evolution of not only uh, the news but also the Daily Show and how people consume it, 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 it very much used to be um, a routine of like, a place where people found out what happened that day. Yes. It's like I, at, at 10.30 or yep. like, I'm about, I'm about to catch up on a day that I missed. Mm -hmm. That is just not the... I mean, I guess there is some, I, I have to acknowledge some bubble of knowing that I am following the news like every two minutes and that's yeah. not the normal thing, but even still, like, the, like your show is like one of a hundred ways that people find out news. How, how, does, that, how does that affect the way you, you uh, your, the angle you take in the show or how you make a show versus how the old show was? It's, it's probably the biggest challenge we face because it is the reason the show needs to evolve. It is the reason the show needs to change. Uh, that is probably the, the best advice that John Stewart gave me. Is he said, my show is done. He said, people won't acknowledge it. People won't believe it, but I know it. My show is done. You know which way I'm gonna go. You know which way I'm gonna fall on this. You know how I'm gonna do it. My show is done. It is time for me to move on. I'm angry and I'm tired and moving on. And I said to him, well then, what am, what am I supposed to do? What is The Daily Show supposed to be? He said, there is no such thing as The Daily Show. He said, the show is shaped by the host. You are the person that gives it life. You are the person that guides it. You need to make the show what you believe the show needs to be. So he says, when I started the show, I felt it needed to be media criticism. I felt the show needed to be uh, a light guiding us through a very dark tunnel at the time. 
but that's what it needed to be at that time. And you did exist in a world where information was coming through primarily the cable news networks. Yeah. You know, it wasn't being it wasn't being sent out the way it is now. People weren't gathering their news online through Twitter and through Facebook and all of these sources. So you were dealing with a very different, people were getting their news from The Daily Show. They had studies that said that young people were getting their news from The Daily Show. I believe we've evolved from that point. From that point. And the show is going to do that as, as well as the audience. People are no longer getting the news from the show. You know, people are looking to the show for, uh, you know, in, in equal measure, some catharsis, some uh, interpretation, some, uh, you know, deconstructing of what's happening, some fact-checking and, and myth-busting. Um, they're looking to it for their comedy. And then they're also looking to it for, for a sharing of an opinion or for a shaping of their opinion. That's what, that's what people are saying. They go, oh, I didn't think of it like that. Or, oh, now I see it in a different way. And that's, that's what the show needs to work towards. People, for instance, there's a lot of people who don't even watch The Daily Show on the night anymore. People tell me, they're like, oh, I watch your show every morning. I'm like, I'm not on in the morning. <laughs> Are you sure watching my show? You know, so there's people who go, oh, I love, I watch, I'm a big fan of your show. I watch it on Facebook. I'm like, that's not where my show is. <laughs> It's your, but I've come to learn that that's, that's what's going to happen yeah. over time is where the show is is going to be less important than what the show is because people will find ways to consume it. And, uh, and over time, I think that's what television is going to evolve into is, uh, is really an a la carte mix where people will just pluck out the information they choose to, to possess. Yeah. Um, who, I'm just out of the uh, first couple of people that pop into mind, who have been some guests that you've had on the show that have kind of surprised you at how uh, interesting or exciting or like, thoughtful they are? Michael Hayden springs to mind immediately, you know, uh, the man who ran the CIA and the NSA. He, he came in with an honesty that I didn't expect. You know, you, you, you're dealing with a very, I mean, this is a man who basically ran the drone program from the beginning. And you're sitting opposite this man and I'm not gonna lie, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm not very comfortable because I've watched spy movies. <laughs> and, but I do have questions I want to ask him and you know, one of the toughest questions I wanted to ask him was the truth is I said, how do you separate yourself? How do you, how do you place yourself on a pedestal saying that we are fighting a war when you go into another country and bomb a site? you know, bomb a person that you believe may be a threat to you. And if those people come over to this side and do the same thing, you label them as terrorists. I said, how do you, you know, how do you place that in your mind? How do you work through that? And he gave me a really beautiful, honest answer, which he said, to be honest, all I can do is work through what The Hague has defined as war. He says, but I don't, I don't think we're doing it the right way. He said, we, we are going in there and we're creating more terrorists, we're creating more enemies because there are so many civilian casualties that the war is expanding to those who aren't even fighting it. And, and you know, and he told the story of how he went into Washington and told his bosses there that they need to find a way to stop this and, 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 and approach it in a different way. I didn't expect that from him. You know, I, I expect him to be like, oh, kid, you don't know what you're talking about. Calm down. You, this is a lot more complicated than you think. And he's like, no. And he told the story of how he. You know, in, in his pursuit of uh, a wanted terrorist, he killed his grandson, who he knew was innocent, a young child. And he knew that he had, he had to authorize that attack, authorize the strike, and make that decision. And that is really, that was really enlightening, you know, as a conversation. Someone I didn't think would give me any of that, someone who I felt would brush me off and, and you know, try to pivot into something else. So, uh, so that, that was really, one of the most exciting interviews I've had for myself personally and for the audience just to connect and go, okay, wow, we are dealing with an extremely complicated issue where rights is not uh, as clean as it's, as you would like it to be. And like actually just asking questions. Like, and, and I think that's the benefit of not uh, coming into a conversation or any exchange like that with your this is right, this is wrong yeah. opinion already at the front, but like, hey, I'm, we're talking and I'm genuinely curious about something and I'm curious about the thing that you have opinions on. Yes. And instead of 
coming at it from attack mode, coming at it from like, will well, you just explain this? Well, it's, it's interesting because the hardest thing I've, I've come to realize in life is everyone is doing, or this, almost everybody is doing what they believe is right from their point of view. And that is, a, that is a very difficult way to look at people and situations because you come to realize that that person sees you exactly the same way you see them. You know, you, you see someone, you go, you are so ignorant and you are so, and they're looking at you and they're like, yeah, exactly, you're so ignorant. Why don't you see this? Why don't you? And, and once you engage them as a human being, once you try to see it from their point of view, you find a different way to approach your conversation with them or your discussion with them. Uh, but but I, don't, I don't know where we get to if we, if we just come in and go, you're, you're wrong, you're an idiot, and we're done. Donald Trump supporters are dumb. Okay, and then, and then where do we get? Now they're not voting for him? Oh, you called me dumb, I'm not voting for Donald anymore. You know, they're not gonna do that. They're, like, they're galvanized, if anything. So how do you find a way to get to the person? How do you tap into how they're making the decisions they're making or why they're making those decisions? And then you start to understand what it may be that, that, that gets to them. You try and tap into them as a human being. Yeah. You know, so, and I, I guess that's also part of where I come from. In, the, in America, one thing I've learned is America loves treating the symptoms and not the cause. You know, from your medicine through to your politics, that's, that's what America does. It's happening now. Look at, you look at Congress and how, just I guess through just willful partisanship, you know, they're refusing to pass uh, bills that will enable people to have money to prevent disasters from happening. You know, things like the Zika virus and, you know, and, and they're going, oh, we, Zika's not, oh, it's not gonna be a big thing. Now we don't have enough information. And now it's, it's, it's all partisan, it's partisan games. Yeah. When Zika blows up and becomes a thing, then America will step in and treat the symptom. They'll go, okay, we're gonna treat Zika. We have an emergency Zika fund. Everyone loves those things. <laughs> Same thing with Flint. We have an emergency program. But yeah, but where's the, the preempt? You knew it was coming. Why don't you do it ahead of time? Yeah. And it's funny because when I had my appendix out here in, in, in the US, I discovered that because I went in, had my, I, you know, I saw, obviously I have appendicitis. I go into the hospital and I say to the nurse, I say, well, can't you give me painkillers and send me home? Has my appendix burst for certain? Do you know? Do you know? She's like, we don't know for certain. It looks like it may have, but we're not sure. But let's just take it out anyway. <laughs> and I was like, well, why would you do that? She said, oh, we just, we just take it out here. We don't, you know, why waste the time and why? And then the doctor came in and he said the most interesting thing. He said, in Europe, they don't take it out the first time. They, you come in and they go, is it your first time? Is this happening to you? Okay, we're going to send you home with some painkillers. We're going to see how this works. And let's see if it is a thing before we need to, uh, to have the surgery. And some people, they never have an incident ever again. You find the appendix was just having an issue on that day. But America doesn't play that game. It's just like, nope, we're cutting it out. We're just, you know, we're treating the symptom immediately. And that's, that's, how, I feel, uh, that's how I feel about politics as well. It's just, let's just deal with it when it happens. Our, our politics have appendicitis, is that? That's, that's exactly what it has, okay. yeah. <laughs> Congress has appendicitis, my friend. Well, the, you know, the, it's like the, like the, the I think this goes like across all platforms. Like you, you begin to realize that people's people are occupying their time. Like there's there's no excitement in like peacetime. There's no excitement in like no. a, in, in like agreement. No. Like when it's but when there's something to argue about, it's like oh like this is what my job is. My job is an yep. arguer, and yep. that's when that kind of trickles into every pocket of society. You're always fighting. Like, you're always fighting a war. There's always some, that's the biggest thing I've learned in America is like, wow, we're always fighting a war. Something's happened, we're under attack. Who's attacking us? It doesn't matter. We're under attack. The Chinese are attacking us. Yeah, the terrorists are attacking us. It's, it's a war, people, it's a war. Like, it's not really a war. People are afraid of things that aren't happening the way they think they're happening. You know, the incidents are not as high as, as they seem to be. You're, you're exaggerating this and you're fear-mongering. No, it doesn't matter, it's a war. And then that, that enables us to fight. And then we're fighting. When we're fighting, it seems like we're doing something. When we're peaceful, then it's just like, well, we're not getting anything done. But then I guess, like Bernie Sanders says, look at countries like Norway and Sweden and stuff. They're very happy. And they're just like, we're peaceful? Another peaceful day? Yeah, peaceful day. All right. Let's, uh, let's enjoy this. Let's ride bicycles and enjoy it. Um, do you, um, sorry, um, I, I happen to be of the, uh, this could definitely be a wrong school of thought, but, I think uh, if 
if Trump loses, this is all like a very good thing for America uh -huh. because it peels back all of the curtains that you know we were a unified front of a country, and <laughs> now it's very clear that there's like a lot of stuff that maybe yes. we should deal with. Uh, what is your take on kind of where we sit now, based off of? Uh, <clears throat> I mean, not not just not just the election, but just like the uh, the what we've seen from kind of like the uh, the support for some of these candidates that yeah it's it's I just think it's it's been very revealing and as someone that uh, is much more interested in uh, just how we interact as a society and what we actually believe versus like oh like kumbaya uh, I think it's a good thing yeah look I if he doesn't win. Well, I will say that everything, everything is helping you. That's, that's what I believe in life. You don't know why and you don't know how, but everything is helping you. Everything is, is moving you forward. Um, I feel like when Donald Trump uh, loses, there will be a moment in the country where it's like the lights have just come on in the club. And then... 3.45 minutes. <laughs> three, three, four, five minutes. <laughs> standing there like, ah. Like, that's what you look like? He's like, oh, that's great. And they'll be like, ooh. It was so much better when the, when the lights were off. Uh, you know? So I think, I think that definitely is a good thing. I think it is good because it is sparking conversation. It is, it is also showing how angry people are. You know, you, you can't just gloss over this. You can't gloss over. I always ask people, I go, where do you think all the racists went? I'm always fascinated by that idea. You go, you had a civil rights movement, and then where did all the racists go? There was no mass immigration, immigration, you know, so where did they go? Did people just go, civil rights, right, no more racism, and everyone's like, all right, I'm done. Uh, where did they go? We had a good run, racist. Yeah, but where did they go? This has not been dealt with. People have not had a moment to, you know, that there hasn't been a discussion, there hasn't been, it's, it's not easy, but there has to be some sort of conversation that is had between people. But Everyone just acts like it's done. Oh, racism is done. It's not done. It's, also, it's like cool. bigots have kids. But that's exactly it. Yeah. Sometimes they're like bigger bigots. They're like, oh, I've like learned from my bigot dad, and yeah. I'm like perfected his. But that's what I, I, That's exactly what I say. I say. I always say to people, I say, racism. In my opinion, racism is a disease. It's a disease just like alcoholism, and nine times out of ten, it's hereditary. That's exactly what it is. You learn it from your parents, and you need to unlearn it. You know, so, so Donald Trump has showed that this thing exists and it exists in all spheres of life. People are like, I can't believe in New York. Does that mean, yeah, they are, they're in New York as well. There's, there's, there's a great conversation that has started and I think it is something that will help America to, to spark a conversation um, moving forward. You know, so, so it is tough and it is scary at times, uh, but I do believe America will be better for it. And, if anything, I think this election has highlighted more than most just the limitations of a two-party system as well. You know, because I think the two-party system also contributes to partisanship because you have to be on one side or the other side. I'm on this team or I'm on that team. And every decision splits you accordingly. But, but that's not how decisions work. You know, you, you look at one thing that's always fascinated me in America, is, and, and you're seeing this with, with the Republican Party now, is establishment Republicans are shocked by these supporters who are going with Trump, not realizing that these people have genuinely been within their fold for a long time. Yeah. The only reason that they've been with the Republican Party is because they have offered the Republic, the Republicans have offered them the best or the closest chance to what they want from a system. So there are people out there who are going, I want full-on racism, I want full-on segregation, I want an extremely isolated America, and I can't get that, but the Republicans give me the best option. The closest, the closest thing. The closest thing to that. So I will vote Republican. But were these people given another choice? Again, an example in South Africa, because we have a parliamentary system, we have a batshit crazy racist party. But you know what's great about it? Is they've got like 2% of the vote, and that's where they're staying, in their little 2% corner, and people get to join them and they get to feel like they're doing something. They're like, come on, let's do it, guys, let's do it. And we get to be like, all right, at least we know where you are. This is good. <laughs> but you're not masquerading as something else. We know who you are. You have your party. It is extreme. And we, we see what's happening. You know, the same in the UK. They know where their extreme people are. It's not one side or the other. And the extreme cannot meld with the, with the moderates and with the liberal. You have to be in your pocket and it enables people to exist in a more in a more uh, realistic way you get to see 
a true representation of the support. Whereas Donald Trump now has made it seem like half of America is extremely xenophobic, bigoted, and racist. He's made it seem that way. That's what the world sees. They go, so half of America is that. And you're like, no, technically, it's uh, give or take nine million people who in a primary system have voted for him and enabled, and enabled him to win enough of the votes to be the presumptive Republican nominee. But even within Republicans, Donald Trump is not half of Republicans in terms of his support. So it's created this false impression of who the people support. I'm willing to bet if you let Republicans choose, if they were like, okay, Donald Trump is running, and we will have another person, let's say Paul Ryan. If Paul Ryan was running, I think you would see something really interesting. You would find a lot of Republicans would go, oh no, that's actually what we mean when we say Republican. And then other people go like, oh, we're sticking with Trump. And then you would see a, a more clear representation. But if you have one option yeah. and you go, that's Republican, it's like, well, I, I guess I'm, I'm going with Republican then. That's, that's what I'm doing, even though I don't agree with yeah. this Republican. I, this is my team. Well, yeah, it's, you're basically the definition of so much identity. It's like yeah. just not being the other thing. Yeah. And you're seeing that as well on the Democratic side as well. You know, with Bernie Sanders and the revolution he's, he's, he's leading. There are a lot of people who are like not Prince. You look at it, there are a lot of people who do not like the status quo. There are people who are saying, I'm young, I am, I'm disenfranchised. I don't feel like the system is helping me. It is trapping me and is making it worse. I cannot vote for that thing. You, it's going to be the same. I don't want more of the same. You know, I know that you're saying oh, Obama was great and the system was great. And yes, I love Obama, but the system is not working for me. Is there no alternative? And you're saying, well, no, there, there really won't be an alternative. Well, not this, not this time. Exactly. Not this but time. But if there was a, uh, if there was an open party system, if there were more parties, this would be a race where you would have Bernie Sanders running, you would have Hillary Clinton running, you would have Donald Trump running, and you would have a Republican running, right? And that would be the people choosing, and I think you would see a more realistic reflection of what America is. It is not two teams. There are many small teams that are coming together under the banners that best represent them, but there are not two teams in this country. Uh, we made it to the end. Uh, I want to thank uh, Trevor Noah. For are we done? We're done. Oh, we're done. We made it. It's like 8 p.m. Thank you everyone for coming. Thank you. Thank you for coming back. Absolutely. Next time you should have microphones. Everyone should have a microphone next time. We should just do like a hot text thing. Just like everyone talking at the same time. But thank you very much for coming here. And I hope I've said a few things that made sense. And if I didn't, just go for the opposites. Awesome. Thank you very much, people. That's it for this week's Vulture TV podcast. Don't forget to email us your questions or comments at tvquestions at vulture.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-504-7673. The Vulture TV podcast is produced by Sam Dingman. The Vulture TV podcast is part of the Panoply Network. I'm Gazella Mommy, and you can find me on Twitter at Gazellephant. I'm Matt Soller Sites, and you can find me on Twitter at Matt Soller Sites. And I'm Jen Cheney, and you can find me on Twitter at Cheney J. Thanks for listening. Thank you.